Welcome to the show. It's top of the 2 p.m. hour. You've found us. It is the What's Right with Sam and Ash show. Uh, it's me, Ash. There's no Sam today, but I've got a great co-host for the day. You may know him from prior episodes that we've had, especially our Veterans Day special. We have Robbie Hagland with us, who is a former military intelligence analyst. Robbie, welcome to the program. Always happy to be here. Oh, you're the best. Uh, you're the best fill-in for Sam because you've got a different take. You've got a bigger cowboy hat, and I always have fun uh, talking with you. Um, and I don't know if you were paying attention earlier this week, but on the show we were talking about the Bolden Little League uh, incident where they had all of their stuff, their equipment, hat, helmets, gloves, uniforms stored in a storage facility. There was a fire, burned it all down, and it was approximately $24,000 in damage. And we were bringing light to their GoFundMe account so they can have a season because they're the only little league in the Valley that is no cost for the players to play. The players just sign up and then this is a donated effort between uh, the Bolden Little League. And so if you're listening and you want to help out, go check out the GoFundMe for Bolden Little League. Uh, And then if you want to just take a check somewhere, you can go to Mario's Westside Market at 1960 West MLK Boulevard. If you need help finding any of that information, please just go to our socials at What's Right Show at Instagram or Twitter, and you will find it there. Um, Robbie, we got a lot to talk about. I know you're based in Los Angeles, and we're based here in Las Vegas, but something big happened, but it's not quite anything new. Today, Governor Sisolak announced the rescinding of the mask mandate. So as effective immediately, actually, Nevada has lifted its mask mandate. Uh, what are your immediate thoughts about it? Uh, I, I think, you know, it's important that we follow the polling, right? Polling, not I mean, the science. Not the science. No, I think this is, a, this is an issue of internal polling. I mean, I think anybody kind of it's kind of realizes that it's not it's not too hidden uh but people are just done with this and politicians are getting a little nervous so i'm sure there's some i'm sure there's some pretext that he gave some reason so tried to connect it to actually following the science but i i think everybody with a brain knows what's going on here Absolutely. So I listened to the press conference. He did a virtual press conference at 10 a.m. today and I was listening and, you know, the journalist kind of gave him a little a little questioning asking him, look, if the prior the initial mandate was based on CDC directives and the CDC director just came out a week or so ago saying states that are getting rid of their mask mandate shouldn't be doing it because the numbers aren't dropping. How do you justify it? And he tried to he tried to do his dance and say, look, I'm relying on my team. I'm relying on our numbers. Every state is different. Uh, And but he still says it's still an emergency. We're not over it. Uh, There's still a pandemic, but we're going to take our masks off. And I'm skeptical because, look, all throughout this, quote unquote, pandemic, he Governor Sisolak's just been following California. Right. I mean, I think the timeline I have is the stay-at-home orders were put in place in California March 19th of 2020. In Nevada, we did it April 1st. 
The uh, masks were mandated statewide in California, June 18th, 2020. And then in Nevada, June 24th. Statewide pause, new restrictions. Uh, California was November 19th, Nevada, number 24th. So we're seeing a trend where Governor Sislag just looks next door and sees what Gavin Newsom's doing. And Newsom, earlier this week, he came out on Monday and said, what, on the 15th? Is that right, Robbie? Do you recall? Was yeah, it the 15th? I believe so. Yeah, Monday. so yeah, he's going to wait until after the Super Bowl. And uh, he came out on Monday and said, look, we're lifting the statewide mask mandate, but he's still going to keep kids in school in masks, which I disagree with. But now Governor Sisolak's coming out and saying immediately, no masks. I'm leaving it up to everyone in schools. It's up to you what you want to do. And I think it's based on the fact that, look, Gavin Newsom, I don't really think he has any risk of his seat being lost. Where Sisolak, we're, we're admittedly a purple state. Sam always talks about it. We talk about it, how we're a little wish-wash. We can go either way. And it's, it was a tight race back with uh, the presidential election. It will be a tight race for governor in 2022. And so I think Sisolak's looking at this and sees more on the line, whereas Newsom gets to be still a little more strict. Is that fair? Yeah, I I think though what you said at the beginning is is an important point that people haven't really paid attention to. You know, I I think people get into conspiracy land a little bit too much when they look at this as uh you know, the COVID restrictions and what everybody has done as being some sort of unified front. Um and and certainly there's organizations uh like the WHO and the CDC that do give some marching orders that people can obey or not obey. But I think a, a much bigger thing that happens is governors do just look to what other governors are doing. I, I think they're, you know, inherently followers, lazy, uncreative. And you also have all the incentives pointing toward, you know, you don't want to be the governor who who doesn't take it seriously. And so you kind of have to look to what's everybody else doing because I don't want to be the guy who falls far below that or else I'm going to get a ton of media attention. I mean, the way that uh, DeSantis has gotten Florida and he's leveraged it to his advantage, but he's really, really knowledgeable uh, about all of the, the science and the updates that have been going on with COVID. And so he can actually take the questions uh, from reporters in a competent way most governors, I don't think, have that kind of confidence or competence to to do that. So as long as you're kind of middle of the pack or even locking down more than other governors, you're you're in better shape for not uh, being criticized. Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. They get too coddled in their cabinet members and all their organizations, and they don't want to take a firm stance. And I I respect DeSantis for what he did. It's not easy to be the one out there challenging the status quo, challenging the big message. And so I just look at Sisolak and I, it was as soon as Gavin Newsom came out and made his announcement, we all knew, we all knew that Nevada's was coming in the soon for the days following. And sure enough, here we are. (laughs) It was no surprise. Um, But what I, I guess I'm kind of impressed with is, and look, I love Las Vegas. I love the local businesses, all the restaurants, hospitality industry. We need tourism. And so I like the fact that, hey, look, he he lifted the mandate with 
effective immediately. He didn't do what Newsom did and said, oh, we'll wait until a few days after Newsom's masks are lifted. We're going to do it now. And hopefully all the Californians that are upset because their Super Bowl party this Sunday is going to be masked somewhere, they're all going to flood over here to Vegas and enjoy it uh, and be liberated without their masks. So I guess in that sense, I'm happy. No, that's the more sensible thing. But I have to wonder if, you know, Newsom was getting a lot of flack and you saw a a lot going around that how can you simultaneously have a state of emergency and have a Super Bowl? And so I think that part of why Newsom uh, waited instead of just doing it immediately, there's no scientific reason for that, right? So you have to start looking for, for other reasons, maybe political reasons. And I don't think he wanted to give in to the criticisms from people that he considers to be his his enemies, that you can't have this state of emergency and the Super Bowl at the same time. Uh, and this helps him be able to save face a little bit. And I almost, I'm, I'm really wondering what the marching orders are at the Super Bowl if people uh, are allowed to be to play it fast and loose with the masks. You know, they were saying they were gonna be strict at first, but I'm wondering with the mandate coming off if if that's going to change yeah and i i've everything i've heard is the super bowl sofi stadium which hosted the infamous game playoff game where newsom garcetti everyone was seen without their masks what being worn uh sofi stadium who's hosting the super bowl has come out and said look we're going to enforce this mask requirement strictly don't get a like a bucket of popcorn and think you can just hold on to it the whole game, casually eating a kernel every like three minutes. No, no, you got to eat, put your mask up, take it down when you want another popcorn, put it back up. So I think they're going to, but the ridiculousness of it all is that there is no risk on Sunday that doesn't exist on Monday, right? Absolutely. And that that's the absurdity. I mean, that's the one thing I'm like, all right, at least Sisolak understands we're just going to lift it. We're not waiting. There's no magic thing that's event that's going to happen in the next two days that makes it all of a sudden safer to take the masks down. It's, it's just let's do it. Well, and the CDC kind of gave it away, too, with the comment you said of, you know, we, we are advising states or we don't think it's a good idea for them to take off their masks yet because cases aren't going down. So what you're saying is you're masking and cases aren't going down. Yeah, so you're just masking. It's theater. It's absolute theater. Well, Robbie, we got to take a quick break. I want to also, I know you're a big sports fan, kidding, Olympics. I want to talk about it. I think it plays a lot into a lot of other things going on in the world. So when we come back, we're going to get into the Olympics, Ukraine, et cetera, all that fun stuff. It's KXNT 840 News Talk Radio. It's the What's Right Show with Sam and Ash. And subbing in for Sam is Robbie Hagland. Sam and Ash Injury Law has been named the official injury attorneys of the Henderson Silver Knights. Sam and Ash Injury Law, they care, they help, you win. 702-820-1234 or SamAndAshLaw.com because you deserve what's right all right welcome back it's what's right with sam and ash and subbing in for sam is our resident former military intelligence analyst robbie Hagland. he's been on the show before uh we are always here live and local from 2 to 3 p.m on kxnt 840 news talk and today we've kind of gone over the mask mandate here in nevada being lifted and how i'm just happy it's happening immediately effective immediately you know i can go to golden knights games 
Silver Knights games. Don't have to wear my mask at T-Mobile. Very excited about that. I want to talk about the Olympics here with Robbie. Robbie, I know you're a big sports fan, but before we get into that, did you see the cause of Bob Saget's death? Did you hear about that? I did. I saw what it was exactly, but I didn't see any theory as to to how it happened exactly. Well, so previously, when we found out he passed away, immediately everyone suspected maybe toxicology issues, if there was alcohol or drugs. And then the immediate response was, eh, I think he just had a heart attack because he was in bed, like holding his chest. And the medical examiner just came out and said his cause of death was actually from blunt head trauma. There was a bruise on the back of his head. And so they think he, I don't know, he bumped his head or must have fallen backwards and hit his head and went to lay down and just didn't wake up. And I don't know, that's terrifying to me. Don't you think? Yeah, it is. Uh, I've had a couple concussions in my life and I, I thought everybody knows you're not supposed to go to sleep. So I don't know if that's, you know, how it happened or what happened, but I, I remember being terrified and, you know, staying up for like 30 hours or something crazy like that. My first concussion. Yeah, I know. And so it's just, it's terrible to hear how this happened. So, I mean, if you're listening out there, that's the, that's the takeaways. If you bump your head, call someone, stay on the phone, stay awake, do everything, but don't lay down because, oh my goodness, I I don't know if I would have done the right thing if it was me. Now, moving on to the Olympics, Robbie, are you watching the Olympics? Nope. Continuing my proud, probably two-decade tradition, unintentional tradition at this point of not watching the Olympics. <laughs> Why is it unintentional? Um, I It wasn't really a decision I made. I just kind of stopped watching it. And I, I don't know. I think it's it was about the same time I stopped having cable, which I'm sure had something to do with it. And I, you know, I switched very early over to only streaming. Uh, and... I think too, it's just kind of, it seemed a little bit boring. I mean, the the Olympic Committee is just so incredibly corrupt. And with that corruption, you know, there's a lot of cheating. And I think people have known about that for a long time. You just kind of don't, you don't trust it as much. And, and I think people too have like lost a little bit of pride in country. So I think all those things combined, at least for me to to make me just totally uninterested. Pride of country. Fascinating. I agree. I think the Olympics are going through something very similar to maybe what the NFL went through when there was a kneeling controversy where all the players were kneeling during the anthem and immediate people, the fans, the viewers, they just tuned out. Ratings dropped drastically. And I think it was because a lot of the fans, they they go to sport for to get away, to escape politics. And instead, they were being forced to think about political agendas or political views and social issues where they wanted to get away and escape. And so I think you're right. There's been a lot of controversy around the IOC who decides where countries go, where they, where the Olympics go, or also, I mean, right now, I think there's a big issue with China. I mean, across the board, we should be concerned about the human rights issues in China, but we're, we're all brushing it under the rug, or at least the IOC and our governments and all these other countries are willing to do it for the sake of these games. And so I'm with you. I think they're, they're not what they used to be. At least when I think about them, I'm not as excited about them as I used to. I used to love watching the Olympics, Winter Olympics, Summer Olympics. It used to be this really great time of the year, and I just don't have it. But it's funny. Yeah, it yeah. also... 
it, it seemed like, I think it seemed like an amazing feat often too, when I was younger, at least when you would see what they create for the Olympics. And I think in the back of your mind with everything with China is, so who's, who's building this stuff? You know, what are, what are they getting paid? Anything? What are their, you know, what kind of worker safety do they have? And I, I think those questions, whenever you look at any of those things, they're kind of hard to escape when it comes to China. 100%. And you're, you bring up a great point on how did they build this stuff and who built it and what were they getting paid? Because I sent you a video last night where it was someone ranting about the, the Olympics and the downhill skiing event that showed a backdrop of this man-made ski slope in the middle of a nuclear plant. And he, the joke and the, the rant really raved about how or went off on how all these athletes they're performing in the middle of potentially a a dangerous situation and I know you had some pushback on it so what was your take I know and I saved it for the show I just told you I disagree completely on on the points that were being made in that rant that it was unsafe and I don't know the details on China's nuclear program but in general uh Nuclear is something that is just so hugely important, and uh, it's it's one of the cleanest sources of energy, one of the safest sources of energy we can have, and it is constantly maligned. And a lot of that maligning, and I'm not saying in this particular case, I think he was just trying to be funny. Right. Uh, the the guy from was from Barstool Sports. Yeah. Is that what it was from? Yeah. So I think he was just trying to be funny, but but there is so much anti-nuclear propaganda and people would be absolutely floored by where it comes from and how it starts. I mean, you have, you know, billionaires like Tom Steyer, other people who make their money in oil, who then give giant payoffs to people like uh, Greenpeace and the Sierra Club. uh, And they will say, hey, you know, I've got these millions of dollars I will give you if you use it to attack nuclear. And that helps them uh, maintain their market on energy from oil rather than nuclear. Fair. And I do agree. I think his point was to, I think he, he chose the wrong thing to really point out was the nuclear, you know, the ronk and like all these people are going to oh, yes. leave with it. Like if someone's trying to measure their radioactivity, they'll, they'll come up on the, the scale. But what I'm... Especially in yeah. China, though. I mean, like, because what's the air quality like there? You're, I, I'd be much more worried as an athlete about all of their non-nuclear power right. plants and what that's putting in my lungs than, than what the nuclear is doing. Absolutely. You're right. In Beijing held the summer games in, I believe, 2008. They limited the use of auto gas-powered vehicles in and around the city for I don't know how many months to try and reduce smog for that very reason. So you're right. The 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 I think the takeaway is look, we're forcing a round peg in a square hole. It, clearly, we could have found a country that had more natural ski slopes that didn't require the the modifications, etc. That this visual portrayed of a man-made ski slope next to a nuclear reactor. I think that's the the real takeaway. And the other thing is I know. Do you, have you ever watched the Olympics, Robbie? Yeah. So Yeah, I used to. Great. I'm going to end this segment on an, a high note. Someone on Twitter was asking people to reca- recount or relive or remember their favorite Winter Olympic memory. And I remembered the only one is where this skier or snowboard cross 
Rider female Lindsay Jacob Ellis back in 2006 was about to win gold. And on the last jump, she tried to do a cute little trick to celebrate it. And she wiped out and ended up coming in second. So she got silver. And it was one of those moments that just was ingrained in my head. Don't celebrate until the medal is in your hand. Well, this year she won the USA's first gold medal. She was the oldest uh, female Olympian to win gold, but she broke the spell and she did it in the same sport as after however many games of not meddling. She just continued through, powered through and ended up winning. So I think that's an uplifting story, but I didn't watch it because I'm kind of boycotting the games because (laughs) of all the human rights issues. And you have a great point on how what we're doing with China and how we're allowing this to happen is also part of our Russia-Ukraine issue. And I want to touch on that when we get back, okay? All right. All right, let's do it. So we'll take a break for news and we will be right back. It's News Talk 840 KXNT. And this is the What's Right Show with Sam and Ash. Comfortable and confident is how Sam and Ash injury law clients feel after the very first call. Comfortable knowing they have decades of personal injury experience. Confident there's reputation and trust to resolve cases and to do what's right. Sam and Ash injury law offers platinum legal service to anyone who contacts them. Quality matters. Integrity matters. Who you hire to protect and represent you matters. If you've been hurt in an accident, choose Sam and Ash injury law. 702-820-1234 or Sam and Ash law. Because you deserve what's right. All right, welcome back. It's What's Right with Sam and Ash. And subbing in for Sam is Robbie Hagland, our resident uh, former military intelligence analyst. Robbie, we're so happy to have you. Thank you for stepping up today and filling Sam's shoes. I know they're big, but you've got the cowboy hat and the beard to fill it. Um, One thing we were talking about in the last segment was China, the Olympics how it's kind of, it's politicized and there's been a lot of disinterest and one of the biggest- They should have had it in Ukraine. Yeah, they should have had it in Ukraine, exactly. If you missed, if you're listening and you missed any of the first two segments, you want to know what we're talking about, you can always get the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Odyssey app. Just search What's Right with Sam and Ash. Click follow, subscribe, you know what to do. Uh, Okay, Robbie, you think they should have held the Olympics in Ukraine? I'm kidding. Why? why? <laughs> what's going on in Ukraine? Because I know I've seen a lot of the news about what's happening in Ukraine. And you, you're in the mili- you were in the military. You know a lot about this strategy, the power struggles in Europe, Asia, because I think it's not isolated from China, what's going on over there. So tell me, what is the very simple outline for anyone that has no idea what's happening in Ukraine right now? What's going on? Yeah, so the the to make it as simple as possible, I'd say, you know, starting about 2010, you had a lot of uh, discord in Ukraine. And the unrest was mostly caused by government corruption and by the country being pulled in two different directions. So Western Ukraine uh, is very pro-Western, pro-Europe, pro-NATO. Uh, and this is in general, obviously. And Eastern Ukraine is very pro-Russian to the point that... that some parts of eastern ukraine are are full-on separatist uh and we might remember back in 2014 you know you had uh the you had russia take over the crimean peninsula yep um and so all of and that's you know in the southeast of ukraine and so all of this kind of factors in and sadly for ukrainians they're, they're kind of caught in the middle i mean they disagree with each other but this, uh, not unlike Syria, has become kind of a, a playground for 
Russia and for the United States to have it out with each other. Okay, now, so why do you, would you say Russia is being so aggressive and forceful in the region? Yeah, so with, I mean, this goes all the way back to the end of the Cold War. So with reunification of Germany and the fall of the USSR, uh, the United States promised not to expand NATO into former Soviet satellites. Um, so places, you know, that are their own countries now that kind of border Russia. So, you know, we're talking Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Georgia, those those countries, and Ukraine is one of them. Uh, and under Clinton, we broke that promise, and we've been breaking it more and more ever since. And so their, their basic thing here, you know, is we had these agreements to draw down nuclear weapons and... Uh, and you know, part of that agreement tacitly was that we wouldn't expand NATO. And ever since then, we've just been you know kind of pushing further and further to try to contain Russia more and more. And you know, we're we're poking the bear in a sense. And so they don't want nukes on their doorstep. And uh, the other part that's that's unique to Ukraine is the Crimean Peninsula. Um, is just super important to Russia because that is the only port that they have that is free of ice year round. So, you know, we think of Russia as a, a huge country and it seems almost unbelievable that, that they would have, you know, problems with ports, but it's just, a, it's a hugely important uh, area for them for, you know, it's, it has military significance for sure, but also just shipping, just, just domestic and economic interest. Now, okay, so I get that. Now, why why are we so involved in this whole issue? What's our role? Why are we? I mean, I, I, is that a, is that a fair question to ask? I mean, I'm no, sitting it's over a here. And, really, that is that is the really good question. It's a fair question because it's a difficult question to to answer. Uh, I mean, a huge reason reason I think is that Russia has been set up as kind of a boogeyman, uh, either for distractions, but but also, I mean, this really, really started uh, elevating these tensions when Hillary couldn't admit that she lost the election. And so she and the media invented the Russia collusion hoax. And, you know, what that what that started, the, the ball that that started rolling is that now Trump was being accused for the first part of his presidency. I mean, breathlessly every night on cable news of being in Putin's pocket and that made him unable to cool down tensions with Russia uh, because he, you know, anything that he did that could have been twisted into being pro-Russian was just going to be proof that he was in their pocket. Um, you know, it's, it's, are you it's tell also, go ahead. I was going to say, are you telling me Russia is not as bad as I've been told by CNN? Russia is not anywhere close to as bad as you've been told by CNN. What? And uh, <laughs> I mean, look, they're they're not a great country. I wouldn't want to live there. It's uh, authoritarian. But as far as when we're talking about from like a, a risk perspective to the United States, the the smart move would have been to cool down tensions with Russia, uh, who you know is is the biggest nuclear power in the world. 
and also borders China, has natural disputes with China. You know, the borderlands between China and Russia are really rich in minerals that China needs, minerals that, that we need for uh, electronics especially. And so you have, you have this natural uh, problem between China and Russia, but we're being so hawkish with Russia right now that it's turning them into the arms of the Chinese and... You know, that that creates a huge problem for us if it's a unified Russia and China versus the United States. I, I mean, that's I don't know how anybody thinks that's a better situation than a loosely aligned United States and Russia confronting China together. That's actually terrifying. A unified Russia and China. Can you I mean, that's yeah, that I sounds mean, like so my worst it, nightmare. Things are cooling down between them. I mean, they're they're they are really uh there's been lots of talks between Russia and China, and I think I think we can trace that back to our own aggression toward Russia. I mean, and toward China at the same time. And so they really, you know, we've created an incentive for both of them to get along when that's really the last thing that we would want. And if you're and if you're an American who says this, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're you know a populist like Tucker Carlson, or if you're a Democrat like Tulsi Gabbard. Um, you are going to be called, you know, a, a stooge for Russia if you play this down at all. I mean, it was just the other day that that uh, Representative Josh Hawley, he was basically saying like, hey, you know, maybe we don't need to play up this this big threat. And uh, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, said he was parroting Russian talking points and not aligned with American values. And it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing for me to talk about Russia because I think people are just going to assume you're some pro-Russian person. I'm, you know, I'm pro-American. I, I, you know, enlisted to to serve this country, and and uh, and I volunteered to go to Afghanistan. I mean, I am I am really as pro-America as I can get, which is why I'm very much against these elites who are using this crisis to their own advantage and when i say that i mean you know the it it helps the administration to have these uh sorts of conflicts and it also really helps people you know in the in the defense contracting industry they're you know how are they going to make up that money from leaving afghanistan and i think they know how you have lockheed vice presidents who are going in and and uh you know creating pro-nato uh propaganda spending tons of money doing it that wants to push NATO further into uh, Russia's sphere of influence because that means way more money for them. Well, so we here on the show, we're huge pro-Americans. I mean, that's just what we, we live, die, bleed red, white, and blue. So I, I like hearing your take on that and how it, this is really just a, an American issue. And you have to look at this as pro-American and not get caught up in all of these talking points and agendas. So, so are you for, or, or do you think there is a benefit of expanding NATO to Ukraine? No, I, well, I mean, a benefit for whom? Uh, for the American people, I don't think so. I think, I think Trump, you know, had the right idea in questioning NATO. It's been around, you know, since the Cold War to deal with the Cold War. And we don't really take the time to re-examine it. It's just something that we assume is, is still serving some sort of a purpose. Uh, but I, I think, you know, poking our fingers in the eye of Russia maybe isn't the best way to deal with them. And Ukraine doesn't think so either. I mean, we've been chastised by uh, 
by Ukrainian leadership for turning up the temperature too much on this. It's not helpful. It's not helpful to Europe. Europe doesn't want the temperature turned up on this because they get so much of their energy from Russia. Well, then what do you, it What? Would, yeah, I was going to say, what do you think the solution really is? I mean, I think the solution is, is the solution that the United States needs to lead morally. And part of that is to acknowledge that peoples have a right to self-determination. And instead of treating, you know, Ukraine like some sort of client state or some sort of, you know, proxy battleground for us to, to deal with our, you know, frustrations with Russia or to, you know, because the Democrats got egg on their face with the Russian collusion hoax and need to still make Russia the boogeyman. That's not fair to Ukraine. I think the, the fair thing is to support, uh, you know, these different regions in Ukraine, they have different aspirations. And I, I don't know why they should be held up by some, uh, you know, some arbitrary border that was created after the fall of the Soviet Union. I think if people in East Ukraine really, really want to be part of Russia, then that should be on the table. And if people in Western Ukraine want to be more allied with Europe, then that should be on the table for them too to, you know, be be part of the EU. But I, I think we have this obsession, and I don't know if it's just because our own uh, civil war was caused by secession, that we, we seem to have this idea that, you know, any secession at any time is such a horrible thing. And and maybe it's not. Maybe Maybe it's nice to have, you know, a government that's a little bit smaller and more local. And, you know, maybe separatist movements aren't always the worst <laughs> thing possible. And, you know, I don't know if we can talk after the break, but there, you know, the, the people who we would consider on our side of that, there's some really interesting stuff going on there, too, that I think will floor people. I, I do want to talk about this after the break. And I want to hear what you think about what the White House is doing and who they're sending to Europe to try and resolve this, because I think that's it's fascinating. So if you're tuning in, it's the What's Right show with Sam and Ash and subbing in for Sam is our resident former military intelligence analyst Robbie Hagland. That's a mouthful, but stay tuned. We're going to talk more about this issue going on between Russia, Ukraine, and how the U.S. is involved, why it impacts us. And then, you know, Robbie, I normally do a Sammy on the spot. I'm going to put Robbie on the spot. So stay tuned. We'll be, we will be right back on KXNT 840 News Talk AM Radio. Welcome back. It's What's Right with Sam and Ash. Today, there's no Sam, but the good news is I've got our former military intelligence analyst, Robbie Hagelin, joining us. We're going through all things with the mask mandate in Nevada being lifted and how great that is. We've talked about China, the Olympics, the politics behind it, how that relates to kind of the issues that are going on in Russia and Ukraine. And Robbie, I know you have a fascinating point about who we're truly, the, the American government, how the United States is supporting in this Ukraine issue. So tell me about that, because I don't think a lot of people know this about what we're doing over there. Oh, I think almost nobody knows it. And it is crazy and nonsensical. But, you know, basically to uh, support this, uh, to to fight against the Russian separatists, you also have uh, these groups of Ukrainians who are pro-Western and pro-UN uh, pro, I'm sorry, pro NATO. And 
you would expect that those are the good guys. And it, it's always a little bit more complicated than that because, you know, in this case, the people who are pro-Europe are also literal Nazis, not, not the kind of Nazis that, you know, you, you see being called Nazis on Twitter all day long um, because they didn't have their pronouns in their bio or, you know, whatever the reason of the day is, but we're talking literal Nazis. Um, and the, Azov Battalion uh, is one of those. It was formed from a white supremacy gang. Uh, and the leader of that white supremacy gang is still the leader, even though it's more of an official battalion now, uh, Andrew Beletsky. Uh, and, you know, I, I can let the listeners judge. Um, he has said that the historic mission of Ukraine is to lead the white races of the world in a final crusade oh. for their survival in a crusade against semi-led Untermenschen, which is German for, uh, inferior peoples. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking like a lot of Americans these days talk when they say Nazis, but we're talking about actual literal Nazis. And in many cases, these are even like the, the grandchildren of literal Nazis of, of the Galatian SS. And so we are arming those people because they are against Russia. Uh, and this was something, you know, it went before Congress in 2015 when they started handing out millions of dollars in support for Ukraine. And their bill originally barred arms, training, and funding to this Nazi Azov party. Um, wow. to, the, to the Azov regiment. It originally did, but before it was actually voted on uh, for under pressure from the Pentagon, they went and they deleted that. So it's not as if they don't know. It's not as if, you know, this is some sort of accident. They saw the issue and they said, maybe we shouldn't fund the actual Nazis. And the Pentagon was like, you know, I think you should fund the actual Nazis. And Congress <laughs> said, okay, let's do it. So, I mean, this is the, this is the level of craziness and the, the pretzels that we twist ourselves into. And, you know, we, this isn't the first time we do this a lot. We did this, you know, with the Mujahideen who became Al Qaeda and, you know, with the Badr Brigade in Iraq and there, you know, we're always supporting people who, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, but, but sometimes you know, that enemy of your enemy is, is even worse than the real enemy. Um, we did this a lot in Syria too, just because they were anti-Russian, you know, I don't know if you remember don't, yeah. McCain's, McCain's moderate rebels that we were funding in Syria. And, you know, they went on to slaughter our Kurdish allies and a lot of them, uh, linked up with ISIS after they got their training and their cash from the, from the United States. So this is, it's something we do and it's something we need to stop doing, but the problem is all the incentives for, you know, unless there's a huge outcry, the incentives for Congress people, the incentives for defense contractors are just, you know, to make war because war makes money for them. And so these, these conflicts are, are big cash grabs when we get to get the CIA in there with a bunch of money and guns and, and do a lot of training. And it's even, you know, I, I think it's even crazier than that. Um, especially when you look at it, who it's being pushed by right now, yeah. which is, you know, Biden and, and Harris and that administration, because these same Nazis are connected to the white supremacist groups that were at Charlottesville. And so what we, what we've had, what, uh, has uh, certain, some journalists have, uh, been able to show is that the Ukrainian Nazis who are being trained by 
RCIA then give their support to our domestic white supremacist groups. And now you have Biden, who is in turn saying, you know, there's a rise in white supremacist groups and we need to expand the power of the national security state and put more money into this so we can confront them. And this is, you've heard the term self-licking ice cream cone, right? No, explain it. So this is this is just one of the greatest examples of, of a term that's used in politics a lot, a self-licking ice cream cone. So basically, we're funding Nazis in Ukraine with our money. Those Nazis then create problems for us at home, and we use those problems at home as an, ex, as an excuse to further ex, expand the national security state. And so it's mm. the national security state creating God. problems so they can get more money to solve the problems that they created. Got it. Well, do you think Kamala Harris <laughs> going to Ukraine is going to solve the problems? Did you hear that? I, I think, think we're sending her I did hear that. to Germany. I did hear that. Yeah. So my, you know, my first thought on that is I, I hope, you know, it's not to solve the, I, I hope you're not sending Kamala Harris to solve any issue. <laughs> and fair. Um, and I wonder, I wonder what's going on there. You know, is this an admission by the administration that this is just going to be a failure? Because that's kind of what they did at the border, right? They, right. they like setting her up to fail. Um, and, you know, that's, that's not a defense of her. She, I couldn't think of a person who deserves to be set up to fail more than Kamala Harris. But, <laughs> uh, but that is what the administration has it. done uh, since it started. So, All right. Well, Robbie, this has been insightful on all things pol politics and government and political affair and affairs internationally. I've got a quick Robbie on the spot for you. Yes or no? NPR is saying that the skin-colored emojis are racist. Do you agree? You know what I'm talking about, the skin-colored emojis? I agree. You They're agree? racist. They should all be Bart Simpson yellow. Get rid of them all. <laughs> all right. There you have it. I love it. Well, it's been a great show with you. It's the What's Right with Sam and Ash show. Today, we were live, local, every day from 2 to 3 p.m. here on News Talk 840 KXNT. If you missed any part of today's episode, go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can catch today's episode and many more. Robbie, thank you, and I look forward to the next time. Glad to be here. Thank you.